0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Video Games Are the Worst Thing on Earth, the only podcast that tells you the truth about video games. I'm Reese, and we're doing something a little different this podcast. Alton's not here. He refused to participate because he didn't want to watch Ready Player One, the subject of this podcast. Instead, I have brought along my buddy, Seth Goldsmith, eminent podcasteer, and uh, also writer of the film Night Owls, an excellent film that was once available on Netflix, but I don't know how you watch it now.
1: Seth, say hello. Hello. You can watch Night Owls on iTunes, and actually will actually make money from it, so do that, guys. Yeah, watch watch it on iTunes,
0: you pirating bastards.
1: The tiny little movie, please don't pirate it. It has definitely been pirated. We've seen it on Pirate Bay, which is fine. <laughs>
0: it's a and it's a great movie. Legitimately. Oh, thank you. So yeah, but we're not here to talk about uh, Ses movie. We're here to talk about Ready Player One.
1: So I was led to believe we're just going to talk about Night Owls. For <laughs> <now>. <laughs> uh, we
0: we tell a, we tell a lot of lies to get the guests on. <laughs> so so well welcome to the truth. I want to do like a plot synopsis real quick, but first I just want, what's your general impression of Ready Player One, Seth?
1: Okay, well, I never read the book because it seemed like hot garbage. I mean, for, you know, and I've read plenty of takedowns of the book, which is maybe unfair, but I feel like I understand what that book is. Uh, And so the movie is kind of a crazy mess. I saw it on 70mm at the Alamo Draft House. On a Friday afternoon, it was a packed house full of excited nerds. The guy next to me started laughing the moment Van Halen played (laughs) over the opening credits. I was like, oh. So I rolled my eyes kind of at that kind of, the whole knowing pop, you know, pop culture reference stuff Mm -hmm. just does not do it for me. But I think there's something more to the movie than the book and source material, but I'm not sure I'm right about that. And that's kind of what I feel like we're going to talk about today you know what I
0: mean 100% I think we've got similar kind of ideas behind it I find it to be a very well crafted movie Spielberg remains the master and there's there's charming parts to it like I I totally understand that it, I understand why people like it And not everybody has my specific Malaise when it comes to the world They're ca- they, have, they have capacity for joy And I understand that Why this movie makes them feel it So I want to do a really rough Plot rundown I don't think the plot is so important That we have to do like the thing Sometimes people do where we like Take a journey through the movie and act. Sure. But it's roughly about This dude named Wade Watts In a slum in Ohio That the way he explained it is we ruined the world because we stopped caring about our problems and we instead just tried to escape them it's not entirely explained how we ruined the world but what everybody does now is they exist in this massive virtual reality world called the oasis and they people do everything in the oasis and they basically they only Log off if they have to take a shit or sleep, and uh, that is kind of portrayed as both a good thing and a bad thing the the leader uh, the creator I should say um, who is kind of worshipped like a god whose name is Halliday I forget his
1: first name it's James Halliday played played by a British thespian, Mark Rylance doing his best best impression of Garth Algar which is one of the most delightful things about the movie I think
0: so the the kind of the the plot of the movie is this quest. The Halliday has died and he's left these three keys and if you can find all three keys you get control over the Oasis, 500 billion dollars, who knows what else, a bunch of other shit. Wade Watts and the other his his crew are called gunters, egg hunters. Uh <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry. <I decided> to... <laughs> anyway, no. I mean,
0: that's. I, I feel it needs to be underscored for people who haven't seen the movie. It's something you hear a couple of times. It's the word Gunter as something that's you're supposed to. Well, take it's soon. also.
1: It's also they make a big deal of the fact that Wade is not clanned up, as they say. <laughs> yeah. He has no clan, but he plays with the same best friend every day, and there's two other people who mm-hmm. are basically his clan, even though he says it's, and I guess his arc is supposed to be about learning to work with other people, but he already does. It's a very confused movie. So,
0: so as, as it goes through, the challenge is kind of, you have to figure out the puzzles by researching Halliday's life, and you get little clues as how to, where the key might be, or little tricks that you need to defeat them, and there is an arc as they go through it, but roughly is the first one is it's, there's like a big race through New York city. And then there's a big sequence where they go through the shining. And the third one is they have to play Atari on an, on a glacier, but th- that's, that's less the focus. And there's more, there's like a big battle between them and the, the, the antagonist who is, uh, I know that their army is called the Sixers. IO, is that the name of the company? IOI,
1: yeah, they're like the evil company. Mm-hmm. And this other company is apparently not evil. They, they're, the, the Oasis is not an evil company. They're a giant corporation. Worth half a trillion dollars, but IOI—they're—they're they're bad because they're going to put ads in the game or something like that.
0: Well, so. well, to be fair, IOI does have VR slavery, mm-hmm. which I think is is bad. But it's really like—I—I I do agree with you that it's kind of weird that the movie—it—it—it it, it does portray that as being bad but it's worse that they want to put ads in the game and it's worse that they're fake gamers that they don't understand the 80s references etc and we'll get into a little bit more of that in a second
1: another another delight of this movie though i'd say is ben Mendelssohn's performance as the head of ioi the hater who's not a he's a fake gamer but he is just uh just a great bad guy, as always.
0: I, I I definitely think Ben Mendelsohn and the guy who plays Halliday is are the two probably best performances in the film for sure, and definitely not T.J. Miller who is uh, adds a kind of ugly pall to the whole thing, but.
1: Sort of makes sense, though, right? He's supposed to be the kind of the bad asshole, you know, gamer, right? Who's it's almost like the perfect casting in a way. You, you, you know, you, <laughs> like... I, I, I certainly agree that
0: it heightens the experience of just. Totally loathing everything about who, who the bad guys are. Uh, <laughs> right. In the end, they figure out some way. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But the first thing I want to talk about in terms of doing this deep dive. Um, well, before that, do you think I missed anything important in terms of? No,
1: I mean it's it's a pretty standard hero's journey. I think the big thing with Ready Player One as a book and movie is just everything as pop culture references. It's this. It's this uh, unending. There's a line early on. you say the limit is your imagination. Except nobody imagines original things. They're all playing as characters from '80s pop culture, mostly, but also some '90s and '70s. And you know, you'll see, you'll see Batman. You'll see the Millennium Falcon. You'll see, you know, the, Bat- the old Batmobile. The you know the De- the DeLorean from Back to the Future. But you know, that's kind of like the biggest thing about this movie. It's like very pop culture heavy without having much depth to what each piece of each piece of pop culture actually means.
0: I, I would agree wholeheartedly. That was the first thing I wanted to talk about. Because that's the surface of the movie. Even above the story is, look, there's Tracer from Overwatch. Look, there's Godzilla. Look, there's Chappie.
1: Wait, Chappie appears in this movie? I, I miss Chappie. I,
0: I have I have read in multiple places that Chappie is in the Battle Royale. I have not been able to see him in it. And I, I, I don't want to talk about how much time I spent combing through that sequence looking for Chappie. Uh, <laughs> well.
1: <laughs>
0: if you know where Chappie is, listeners, at us uh, <laughs> immediately.
1: I am starting a new podcast called Chappie so <laughs> it's about robot socialist bros.
0: So yeah, um, and it's 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 just endless, and it's it's a story element too because there's it's clear that the bad guy Ben Mendelsohn is like a fake gamer bro he uh, he has somebody uh, in like one of the scenes of the movie he has an earpiece where one of the nerds are explaining the different references to him uh, which has I believe that scene has the worst line which in a player knows a hater which which was incredibly cringy but I wanted to talk about the references in general but specifically what I think to be the worst reference which is the infamous iron giant beat in the film and also the second challenge which i think is the best reference so i don't know what's your take on the iron giant having a gun thing
1: it's i mean the iron giant is one of my favorite movies i'd like cry just thinking about that movie and he famously the entire point of the movie is people think he's a weapon nobody knows if he's built by the russians or he's from space it's like takes place in the 50s and it's about that kind of paranoia And he, you know, he famously says, I am not a gun. So in this movie, he just has a giant arm gun and is blasting the bad guys away. And there's really no connection to the original character. And I don't think the Iron Giant's in the book, but I could be wrong. It seems like more of a a Spielberg loved that movie, maybe. You know, it's Buds with Brad Bird. So I don't know exactly how that... I could be wrong. Maybe it's in the book.
0: We're gonna pretend that the book doesn't really exist here sure, because I, sure. I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna read it either. I've heard some things about it. Um, I'm, I, to me, I'm only interested in this as a Spielberg movie.
1: For like I said, I've read a bunch of think pieces about how it's the worst book ever written, <laughs> and like what's so offensive and wrong about. Mm-hmm. And I and I think there's changes that were made from what I've read. You know, between seeing the movie and reading a few pieces about the book that make the movie at least a little more interesting and a little less surface than what the book seems to be. And so that's the tension I'm sort of interested in without wanting to read 300 pages of garbage.
0: I would agree with that. And I think that it's worth, you know, it's, it's it's worth pointing out that there, there is more craft and thought put into the movie like I I haven't read it but you know I've heard read those same takedowns probably and it just seems like it's very gatekeeping oriented and it doesn't elevate it in the way that I would say this movie is at least making attempts to do at certain points and just to get back to the Iron Giant thing specifically is that to me you know it, it having that it was an already enough to have it be a pretty big thumbs down and it's just my understanding is that you know Iron Giant was made because Brad Bird's a family member died from gun violence so it was very right. specifically you know a very personal moment for him to say that you know maybe we should reconsider what these weapons do to our lives and to have the movie just have a triumphant like just hell oh, yeah the Iron Giant's got a gun bitch <laughs> it's like not only insulting on in that sense it like doesn't gel with the rest of the movie which is just all about nerd cred and how you are not as good you're not as worthy if you don't understand these pieces of media. And I think that that is by far the biggest crime in the movie.
1: Right, absolutely. It's the worst kind of nerd. Not even really understanding the work or what it means, but like getting the reference before other people and thinking anybody else who doesn't get it is below them or something like that. But, you know, another ironic thing about the Iron Giant is that movie actually has one... Just one big pop culture reference that's similar, to, you know, a repurposed, very big, you know, pop culture reference that's similar to the way Ready Player One does, but totally and utterly understands the iconography uh, of Superman
0: mm-hmm.
1: way better than anything in, in Ready Player One understands the dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of references the movie makes, where there's a reference to Superman this robot might have been programmed to kill and destroy. We don't know where it's from, but it like learns to feel and care and it, you know, reads comic books with the main kid who he befriends and wants to be Superman and to protect. in a way like this that movie understands Superman far more than any of the Zack Snyder Superman stuff has so far. And it's a pop culture reference, but it works so well, so it's kind of an ironic thing. And then the Iron Giant is used a pop culture reference that completely misunderstands the Iron Giant. And I guess my question is, does Spielberg and does Zach Penn, the screenwriter, do they both know that this all these pop culture references are a misrepresentation of what these things mean? And this movie is sneakily satiric about our current obsession with just pop culture bonanzas and that and you know reboots and remakes and endless sequels. And I wonder if the movie is trying to comment on that or if I'm giving it too much credit, I guess is my question. <laughs>
0: I would love to read or listen to a defense suggesting that. Um, Personally, I, I struggle to find the evidence in the text or the subtext to suggest that beyond just like a couple of hints that we'll get into a little bit later. I agree with you that the power of the Superman moment in the Iron Giant is because it understands it. And the one time I think that this movie really gets the pop culture reference right is when in the second challenge they do that kind of deep dive in The Shining. And it, you know, it's representative of Halliday mirroring Jack Nicholson as this kind of obsessive personality that might not necessarily be helpful to those around him because of his obsession. It understands like what's great and what's scary about the movies. Like it's just fun to be in that moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so well crafted. I had been told about that part. I have a friend who worked on it. He said there's a part where they go into the shining. So I knew about it for months leading up, and even knowing like that, and like that's the thing I was looking forward to most, still kind of blew me away in the middle of this kind of mediocre, weird pop culture reference, standard hero's journey thing, just to have that sequence in the middle, and it just looks exactly like the shining like, the, like it looks like they shot on the fil- same film stock that Kubrick used, and it's definitely Spielberg playing in the sandbox of Kubrick, which he's already sort of done in AI and like but this is just him fully getting to play kubrick which i guess is part of what everybody's doing when they're in the oasis they're playing within their own pop culture obsessions but like you said he understands what the shining is far more than other things in this movie i guess
0: the the one thing i would say is is really interesting to me about it and when i initially saw it i was kind of just like repelled by it but talking to you it makes you made a good case but that moment where you see the the famous picture of everybody in the overlook but instead of Jack Nicholson it's Halliday and like I I think that that is like the the nice little touch that 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 moment needed um, to kind of like draw the themes home, even though it does make Halliday look like the creepiest fucking person on earth. Like, if I like if I saw some that on somebody's wall, I would just be like, you know, there's a lot of people on the earth. Uh, <laughs>
1: I, I could be friends with somebody else. This is weird. Well, he also, <laughs> sure. He also, the, the end of that challenge is finding this woman he's obsessed with, who we ha- he went on one date with her, I guess, back in, Like, now? I can't remember the timeline of this movie. It's like, it should you know, because it takes place in the future. So I guess, like, the timeline would be around now. He went on a date with this woman and, you know, really just weirded her out because he was just a total nerd and couldn't connect to her on a human level. Uh And then his business partner ends up marrying the same woman. And he ends up firing his business partner later probably because of personal jealousy. And then he traps a representation of this woman's consciousness in... The Shining part, she is the key to the next, getting the next key or egg or whatever the hell the MacGuffin is. Um, And like freeing her from this weird hell where she's in this like ghostly dance hall, you know, that's like doesn't look like The Shining. This little sequence at the end is sort of inspired by the idea that there's like ghost parties, but like not really anything specifically from the movie. So, yeah, there's something so weird and creepy and off-putting and definitely supposed to be that, that there's something there to, like, oh, this guy's not such a good dude. You know, this is, like, it's not just a fun Willy Wonka figure here. He's kind of a total loser creep who's sort of realizing he wasted his whole life on pop culture references, you know, instead of having a real life. Mm-hmm. To, so so there was, it was just a tweet. I can't remember who tweeted it, and I wish I could attribute it. But it was a critic who saw it at South Byard, you know, a few weeks before it came out. And they said, this is Spielberg's vision of hell, but he still wants you to have fun. And I think there could be something to that, maybe. But, you know, like I said, I'm still not convinced. Like, I think that's an interesting read of the movie. But also, because we're living in a dystopian future where nobody, everything's so miserable, people go to escapism. But then the end of the movie, isn't about them realizing we need to save our world. You know, yeah, so it's yeah.
0: Very the um I think that's interesting and I think that you should have just taken credit for that thought
1: rather than trying to <laughs> trying trying to rightfully sure. attribute it to somebody else. That's what else. the internet is, right? Nobody gives <laughs> anybody credit for like their art or jokes or just
0: Yeah, um and I think that uh it, I I I think that that's an interesting read. I have a tough time going all the way with that read. Um, Especially with, I think, that there's, it's not, like, explicit, but there's a, a not, it's not ugly, but certainly not complimentary, kind of, like, trophy girlfriend aspect to Artemis. Like, you, you win the, you know, you win the game, you get the girl. That makes it feel less like considerate of that kind of dynamic even though that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean that that's not true or not what they meant but like when right. when Parzival like meets her and she's like this beautiful woman with like a birthmark and he goes i'm not disappointed <laughs> it's just like you're <laughs> just like come on can we not be this movie well, is she
1: yeah <laughs> she's like the gamer nerd version of the manic pixie dream girl kind of right she's mm-hmm. like She's beautiful, and she really knows all the pop culture references almost as much as Wade does, but not quite as much, right? You know, like, she's really good at video games and all this stuff. It's definitely a very fantasy-based thing. But she also is a freedom fighter while he just wants to win the game Mm -hmm. for himself. I guess that's part of his arc. And she's like, join this thing that means more than just you or something. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 not all bad, and I definitely think that that is you know that that's to the credit of the movie is that they have that stuff in there um, that you know it's a game that is or it's a movie that is conscious of kind of what. What who we need to be to make the world better, you know, which is why right. the kind of where the movie goes and what it does is is interesting and compelling and even though I'm ultimately you know humbug about the movie like it's it still compels me,
1: yeah, I find the movie fascinating but not like great or good, if <laughs> you don't know, necessarily do you know what I mean. I think it's a fascinating cultural signpost of our times right now. You know, before
0: we kind of get dig into the uh, kind of the ending and that other stuff that we wanted to talk about, I want to just kind of like go a little bit more into just like talking about the Oasis in general. Sure. Just because I think that it's it's an interesting portrayal of a VR world and that. Even outside of the references, you made that great point, you know, like the first thing we see is Minecraft world, but it's you can, something that you can build stuff in.
1: You know, if people are into Minecraft, they'd still want to do Minecraft in VR, sure. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's to me, it's
0: just like a really interesting portrayal of, I don't know. Of a video game and kind of like the, the touchstones from video games that they drew. Not necessarily the references, but like the economy and how basically Oasis Bucks it has replaced all currency it seems. And I, I don't know, to me I find that to be an extremely disturbing portrayal sure. yeah, of, yeah. Right. of the world like you know like the first th- one of the first things you see is like there's a casino in there and the idea of just like a place where people can just like ruin their lives in a second in this world is ugly the the overall you know you see Wade's stepdad or whatever spend the like the entire nest egg on the house because he wants to get that one upgrade it's interesting to me that it drew those elements and even though like it it's trying to pitch itself as like though the Oasis is free, you know that we don't want ads that would ruin it. I think that there's uh, there there's elements to that that I think undercut it. I don't know what what's your response?
1: Yeah, it's weird. You get killed, you zero out. There's like very strange rules, and I don't know. You can't just be killed at all times. I guess only if you're playing in a dangerous game or something. But if your avatar dies, you lose all the money and upgrades that you've earned over time. And then I guess the money you earn can be used in real in the real world. Like when Wade wins the first key, he gets like a bonus. And then he uses it to buy, I don't know, what does he buy? A haptic suit or something like that, right? So uh, yeah, it's very bizarre. There's definitely some sort of economy still going on in the real world. Like you see a guy at his office freaking out, because he was playing and it seems like not everybody is pl- you know plugged into the oasis The other people at his office are still doing regular office jobs and so i don't know if everybody works or no it's just a f- you know select group of people are still working or like it's we, we see it's very unclear this future so yeah like that seems to be the only type, type of economic incentive you can get as somebody who's not rich already and it's winning money in this video game <laughs> Exactly,
0: and I think it, an important dimension to this is that it not only is is it you know you zero out, but there are, it seems like there's definitely occasions where if you can't make it happen, the oasis there is. VR slavery in this world. You, right, you have yeah. to you have to go to the loyalty center, and you're just put in a cage, and you're made to. I don't know. Like she was said, the, the only vision we saw of it is when um, Artemis had to plant the VR charges on the bridge, <laughs> which, right. which was which was a weird thing to do. But it's the kind of thing where I forget the the details of it. But they they the way they pitched it was that like once you get uh, sucked into VR slavery, you can't. You can't work yourself out, even though the idea is you're working off your debt. Um, and and those are very powerful, f- fucked up concepts right. that I think aren't are, aren't. Really weirdly addressed, and like I understand that he, every action video game movie doesn't need to have my sensibilities of you know shaking their fists at the world, but I think that this movie has enough signifiers to it. It's it's leath, least at mm-hmm. least worst exploring.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the bad guys too who have the slavery, so it's obviously represented this terrible thing, and then if they win, if if. IOI I- 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 took over the Oasis, then you would presumably have a lot more stuff like that. It's not just that they'd be selling ads. but
0: And might as well transition into the kind of the ending, because at the, uh, the end of the movie is through, you know, the power of friendship and teamwork and understanding your fellow man, Wade wins the, uh, the challenge and shares it with his clan. So it's like a council, and so that's kind of like the, the the moment. And the big changes that they make to that are portrayed as setting the world on the right track is that they end VR slavery, which, no judgment, thumbs up. I, I think we can all get behind that. Um, but the other thing is, is that they make everybody take two days off a week from the Oasis. So they are forced to live in this terrible hell world <laughs> that they created for themselves, which is a weird choice, I feel.
1: Well, uh, I think the idea that we should live in reality is a good message. It's funny, I was just watching Vanilla Sky last night, which is like weirdly relates, even though the last 20 minutes, of that are literal just 20 minutes of exposition, that endless elevator ride, I don't know if, all you listeners remember Vanilla Sky, but it's he has to make a choice to live in like a lucid dream technology, which is basically, I guess, some sort of VR or live in the real world. And I think that is an interesting theme that the movie could have explored. But like you said, they kind of hedge their bets. And they're like, oh, we turn the Oasis off for two days a week. Uh, but they're not making, you know, it's mostly Wade and his girlfriend making out and not, like, trying to make this terrible world a better place, you know? So that's not implied at all. I don't know. It, it gets to the
0: heart of what I think is stuff that we feel today is, you know, we see the world, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the world is getting hotter. It's, it's, tough. it's tougher and tougher to face optimism. Like, we all want Something like the Oasis, sometimes, where we can just go into, and we all sure. we all we all do it. And so this movie resonates on that front, but then just being like in the end, being like the tech companies will disrupt enough to save the world, and we just need to go out into the world twice a day. I don't know. It just in the end, it just feels like really underwhelming. And I'm I'm open to arguments about it being more subversive but to me it just feels like in the end there's there's this worship of of materialism of these like references and they they say it's just like yeah just don't get too into it. I guess to me that it's a message that I find to be like very dis- disheartening because yeah. it is true Like, I I, I certainly don't begrudge anybody uh, the stuff that they love, but even though I was overjoyed when I saw the glaive from Krull, like, loving Krull is not gonna really help or change anything beyond some kind of personal inspiration or catharsis to connect with something in the real world. And you need that thing in the real world beyond Wade making out with his trophy girlfriend Uh, Or having his like clan like great, I made my four best friends rich. For that message to feel like not ugly and not dispiriting to me,
1: right? It almost would have been a more radical ending if to save the oasis, they would have had to destroy the oasis. Really, you know. But like slave, everyone's a slave to this thing now, right? You know, beyond the people working for I O I, like people, and it's you know, it's there's something very insidious about a giant corporation with a monopoly like this, you know, with like the Oasis, literally everybody is on the Oasis, you know, there's no, it's like, there's no competition for it, IOI, I don't really know what their product is other than fighting to own the Oasis, <laughs> do they have a alternate, you know, is it like the Windows 95 of, of like VR there that like, you know, or the Bing, I guess is the better, <laughs> like, just gonna rag on Microsoft more, it's like the Zoom of VR <laughs> they, they put out you know so um.
0: but yeah and so i don't know to me i like where this movie was going and i almost thought is like is this movie really going to make some kind of like bold statement about it and i do agree that the it, the ending is the crutch cuz it's really building up i feel to something some kind of specific message like the way that uh you know moro talks about the responsibility that they have by making the Oasis. And, you know, it, it may have started out as a game, but now everybody lives in there. And so there's supposed yeah. to be, you know, some hints that, you know, we need to understand and make decisions that take that into account. And they mentioned the the quote from, from Superman. Some people can read War and Peace and come away thinking it's a simple adventure story. Others can read the ingredients on a chewing gum wrapper and unlock the secrets of the universe. To me, that's like it's, it's, it's like foreshadowing commentary on these references and stuff. Um, I don't know. Do you what, what do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a very strange use of that quote that doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> you know It's sort of like, yeah, but like, I don't really know what it means in the context of the movie because there's not a depth to this movie, but you know, maybe there is. I think it's supposed to be about Halliday and the way he thinks but I you know like it's very perplexing moment like what are we saying here I mean I guess like but I think ultimately Halliday is revealed to be sort of this sad empty person who wasted his life and to me that's sort of the key of the movie yeah yeah um and yeah that's the thing that's most interesting to me about what where there's meat to talk about this movie beyond Look, it's the Iron Giant. Look, it's Batman. Look, it's the Gremlins, you know? Exactly,
0: exactly. Look, uh, it's Tracer's ass, which which was my favorite reference in the movie. It's... (laughs) I, I I hooted and hollered. I know that you are less familiar with our filthy gamer ways. I forgot if I told you about that, but there was a big drama in Overwatch because of like Tracer's poses being based off pinups, and you could see her in like her ass was too prominent, and then they had a less prominent ass pose, and there was anger about that that they reduced the ass level. To have that pose in the uh, in the movie is just so immensely hilarious to me as somebody who follows gaming outrage. But anyways, um, I think it's a good time to kind of like transition into maybe talking a little bit more about where this place is and kind of like Spielberg's career and his, his interest in it, because that's what's most interesting to me. Because yeah. being baffled by the ending and it feeling not particularly resonant, it's difficult for me not to turn it inward and in making it all about like, well, what's Spielberg trying to say? What does he sure. see about in himself about all this? You know, it's obviously screenwriters, there's a whole team of people that make movies, it's not all Spielberg, but you you look at something like War of the Worlds, which is has a very kind of strong themes and messages while still being just like a in a lot of ways just a thrilling action movie like if spielberg yeah. gets to say what he wants to say in most every movie these days and i want to know what spielberg is saying
1: well i think there's a shallow if we maybe there's just nothing to it here's the argument that there's nothing to it he just like thought it was a fun book that you know and the movie made, you know, did well here and did tremendously well overseas, and it's just a fun romp, is the guy's been into video games since the beginning of video games, Mm -hmm. you know, like, since the 70s. Since he first got famous, he had, you know, like, the latest video games in his trailer. I remember there's a funny story where Kate Capshaw, was who he eventually married, was talking about when she tried out for Indiana Jones, his method of flirting was like, Hey, I've got an Atari in my trailer. Do you want to come play it? (laughs) So he's just a nerd. He's definitely a deep nerd. And this could have just been a fun romp. There's also the book is chock full of not just references to pop culture, not just references to 1980s pop culture, but to Steven Spielberg properties. Mm -hmm. And to the credit of the movie, uh, I think when he decided to make this movie, he felt like, I don't want to you know, be just self-congratulatory. Self-congrat- so he basically removed all references to his work um, except the DeLorean. But even, I argue that's not the DeLorean. It's just a DeLorean. It's just a DeLorean. It doesn't sure. travel to China. So how is that? But anyway, that's me being a nerd. <laughs> so <laughs> the gremlins were not even his idea. I heard like I, my friend who worked on it said, yeah, they put the gremlins in and, then pointed it out to him, like, oh, that's cute, you know, like, he didn't even, like, approve that, they, like, kind of put it in Mm -hmm. his Easter egg, the effects artist, and then you could argue the T-Rex is the Jurassic Park T-Rex, but it's also just a T-Rex, you know, so, and I think there's a lot more stuff in the book, again, I haven't read the book, but it's, like, just chock full of Spielberg stuff, ephemera, from what I've heard, you know. So that's the shallow interpretation, right? Like I could uh-huh. see that, but I do think there's Spielberg has not gotten much credit for how subversive he's become over the last decade and a half. Maybe you know, oh my god, like two thousand one, nine eleven was two thousand one. I feel like he's gotten more cynical and sub- subversive since then. You know, and he's sort of subverted the Spielberg happy ending. And so, War of the Worlds is a great movie to bring up because that movie is so dark and so you know depressing like I've never seen a movie that really is more about this is what the apocalypse would feel like just this horror show where people are dying and society is collapsing and it's not like a Roland Emmerich movie where the apocalypse looks kind of fun you know what I mean like yeah yeah Will Smith is making quips you know like this is like oh everyone's dying and people are freaking out and turning on each other and you know it's just absolutely horrific and so that's not really the Spielberg that we knew from ET you know like i knew i wanted to have you
0: on for for this cuz i remember specifically our argument that we had and i'm about to spoil war of the worlds um but at, at we <laughs> we we had a pretty you know a, a lively debate about whether or not uh you know at the at the end he gets his kids or his one kid, and his other kid turns out to have survived, to the mother's place and they don't invite him in. And it's you know, it's basically saying, It's it's awesome you save these kids, but you're still a shitty dad. Like you
1: don't Well, you're still gonna be alone in life. And I, yeah, exactly. And it's framed the way the end of the searchers, which Spielberg is obsessed with John Ford, so that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. It's not a big happy it's not a big, you know, sad ending. It's still the son who ran off to fight the aliens without really having any training or weapons to fight these aliens uh, somehow survives. You know, that kind of, (laughs) you feel like he probably should have died off screen, but he survives. He gets Dakota Fanning back to the mother he's divorced from and the grandparents, but he's not invited in. I just thought that was an interesting moment in an overly happy ending after this super dark movie that he doesn't go in, his place isn't inside.
0: It's it's a very dark twist for Spielberg's saccharine reputation.
1: Right, exactly, and the whole idea of everything he's ever made is always a quest for home, which mm-hmm. is something sort of not present in Ready Player One, but we can go back to that. But yeah, he doesn't go in. He doesn't go in. He's framed by the doorway, the just the way John Wayne is at the end of The Searchers, because his place is not inside. His place is back out you know, in the Wild West. There's also an ending to Minority Report that I feel like is never discussed and I think is, it's telegraphed early in the movie. There's a part where Cruz goes to see where the pre-crime prisoners are kept. And Tim Blake Nelson has a line where he says, uh, they're not moving, but they're always busy, busy, busy in their brains. They're like dreaming and thinking, even though they're basically under you know, it's a very bleak, weird prison for people who actually haven't committed a crime. Uh Uh, Cruz, you know, is accused of a crime, goes on the run, gets caught, and then the movie completely changes style once he's caught. Uh, His wife, who he's separated from, breaks him out of this weird mind prison, and he exposes the person who was setting him up in a very pat, you know, it feels like an old noir, but also kind of a very pat way and my and then the 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 precogs who are also slaves basically being forced to use their powers and exploited are freed and put in this very pretty little cabin that's amber lit and looks very pretty and my thought is that's all a fantasy in Tom Cruise's head the movie isn't explicit about that but it's sort of similar to the ending of Brazil and that's what I've always said, if I ever got coffee with Steven Spielberg, the first thing I'd ask him about is the end of, the, of Minority Report.
0: I think that that's a real interesting take. It's definitely the first time I've, I'd ever heard that, after reading a lot, a fair amount of stuff about Minority Report. And that gels with what we're talking about, is that Minority Report is the start of, you know, it's not like it's never been there, but it's the start of a shift in Spielberg's yeah. tone. that is, can be seen again and again and again in his later mm-hmm. movies, um, and, you know, it's not not every movie, you know, I don't think Tintin or whatever has a dark secret, but it to me, you know, it's, it's something that you can see, and so, like, right. bringing that to this movie where the ending, where I'm just, like, so puzzled, I'm just like, what is Spielberg trying to say? What... How, you know, does he see himself as Halliday here? Is this some kind of reference or, or, or discussion about his career? Is, is, is that an element?
1: I think there's no doubt that he's most compelled by Halliday, whether, you know, what he's exactly saying about him is unclear. I think it's similar to, in Jurassic Park, uh, John Hammond, who built Jurassic Park, he dies in the book uh in a pretty you know spectacular fashion Mm -hmm. like you know at the end of the original novel and spielberg keeps not only keeps him alive at the end of this movie you know because this guy just has a twinkle in his eye he's this master showman who kind of messed up by overreaching uh by the sequel um which i just rewatched all these movies after fallen kingdom came out The sequel, he's become a radicalized, this was a bad idea, we need to stop this, Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to protect the animals, but also I made a huge mistake by doing this. He's gone from a showman to a naturalist, like there's actually a line about that, that Jeff Goldblum says to him. So I think he's most compelled by characters like that, these like showmen, you know, who are like the visionaries. Uh, and I think the Halliday character is the most interesting to him by for sure, and there's definitely many, many instances in this movie where it's implied that Halliday basically is a creator who hates his creation. They talk about that in the shining sequence. He is a miserable man who did all these pop culture references. But really, never lived a real life, right? He's never actually got married. All he did, like his funeral, is Star Trek themed. (laughs) Like there's no. There's no there there. It's just pop culture, pop culture, pop culture. He built this the Oasis.
0: It's Star Trek themed, but it's not even like it's just like a a a shitty funeral with the iconography there. And that I listening to you talk that could almost feel purposeful.
1: Yeah, I wonder if there's something there that he's saying about him looking back on his works, considering where we are right now as a society, just for real as a society, but also where we are now as a industry of film industry you know and, and video games like what everything is another sequel you know like the next battlefront the next star wars we're like already four new star wars movies in after being starved for good star wars content mm-hmm. uh for so long all of a sudden we're four in, and you know people are already getting tired of it you know yeah, yeah solo didn't do so well um so i don't know and i think he's very acutely aware of that he probably could have made a star wars movie if he wanted to retelling these stories or at least trying to find some new angle in these old worlds and and if that's how he feels then we're making we're dealing with a movie where he's actually looking back at the pop culture that he helped create and wondering where it's gotten us and probably feeling a little bit of despair and the ending could be a subversively like sad oh no they didn't get it they haven't actually done anything they're just going to continue to make the same mistakes that Halliday made and society is doomed to just tell the same stories over and over instead of telling new stories
0: what you said about hammond and jurassic park i think is absolutely true these kind of like grand visionary creators you know that's obviously something that it grows to but we're at the point now where grandpa isn't going to live forever. He's, sure. he's really, it, it, it's more pointedly about him thinking about, you know, his life and his impact on the world in a much more kind of like palpable way. Um, then, you know, it, rather than it being an element in Jurassic park, to me, that's the whole movie. Um, other, you know, yeah. there's, you know, there's the story, there's everything that propels you along, but in terms of the crux of why he's doing it and the themes, you know, that that to me is the whole thing um, of, of, of why Spielberg is attracted to it. And, you know, sure. it, it, and that's the only thing that elevates it to something more interesting than, you know, the gatekeeping nightmare that it was before.
1: Right, exactly. And I wonder if he's commenting on it, or he could not be. I'm not convinced he is, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? But I think there's a read on that movie where there's actually really interesting stuff going on beneath the surface.
0: It's kind of one thing I want to talk about, and maybe this plays into what you're saying, is that thinking about, you know, sometimes it's it's not a fully understood dimension. I know that when uh, I've, we've been pals for quite some time, and at the start of our friendship, I had a much lower opinion of Spielberg because I bought into the kind of saccharine reputation that i think is earned but misunderstood you know he he's somebody that started out with a very kind of optimistic outlook and even through his darker films there's i don't know even if it's not some sort of effort to bring people together there's the understanding that that's the way it should be the search for home the value of a single life matters that sort of stuff. You know, we we were born around the same time as Halliday. There was that optimism was something very palpable. And it's starting to fall apart in a very real way. Right. Like, really, the, the shattering the trust of the country, just the way that there's just indisputable evidence that the world is just going to start boiling itself to death and we're going to start to have climate refugees and i, I don't i don't want to like do a we didn't start the fire of why the world <laughs> is ending do you think spielberg is reacting to that or even if he's not reacting to that like just what are your general thoughts on that kind of
1: shift i think he's i think nine eleven really fucked him up in a way that made him think about the world in new ways. And, you know, it's not like that was his first dark movie, like Schindler's List, which is an incredible film, and Saving Private Ryan, which is, has incredible sequences. Um, <laughs> we're very dark, 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 harsh movies, you know, but also had hope. And I think he really was very, you know, like I'd also say AI, which is pre-911, sort of subverts the happy ending in its own way. And it's sort of like... A fake happy ending but that's enough for the kid like mm-hmm. but you know I think it's really after 9-11 I think it really messed messed him up and I think you know War of the Worlds and Munich which is directly about Middle Eastern terror and how we mm-hmm. react to it and these endless cycles of violence and and it's a really a conversation about that you know and uh, you know Minority Report was I think a big a big reaction to the Patriot Act as much as anything you know I think he is somebody who is like apple pie, Americana suburbs is his iconography, right? You know, like Stranger Things is just a direct rip off of his whole thing, you know, Um, or it's early his 80s work, right? And, you know, like he's very much about like, you know, these, we shouldn't fear the alien, you know, like this alien is here is benign, you know, his optimism might be faltering in a way that's like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean he doesn't believe we're capable of these wonderful things and family and love. Than you know the American ideals, which you know I've always questioned myself. But you know I think he's like, he's a you know his two favorite artists is like you know John Ford obviously and David Lean. But I think that Norman Rockwell and Frank Capra are like two of the most most influential uh, artists on Spielberg's outlook on life and work. He's definitely a, you could argue he's an establishment liberal centrist, but I think he's had a lot to say about that and I'm sure he's maybe I'm wrong maybe he's like no Trump he's good like I'm (laughs) good with Trump you know like pretty sure I'm sure he's gone to a party that Trump was at and they were buddies before this all happened but I'm sure knowing his you know outlook I'm sure he's appalled but you know I don't know if that means this movie this could have just been him saying I just want to make a fun movie I haven't made a fun you know Raiders like romp in a long time you know beyond Tintin which didn't really translate at least here
0: I think that's a good overlook of it. I, you know, personally, you know, like I said, I would love to read any any deeper looks arguing for something for something like that. I tend to lean more towards what you were saying is that there are, there were definitely elements that Spielberg uh, responded to in Halliday and. Uh, thinking about his career but i think that to me it's it's more the romp and that's why you know in the end it, it it's kind of underwhelming like the, the whole time where you're just like the looking at this is supposed to be post-apocalyptic yet it does the, the, these people are not boiling to death i am had my suspension of disbelief isn't working here um, <laughs> well there's
1: coin syrup droughts or something <laughs>
0: the coin syrup droughts And the bandwidth riots is like (laughs) I try to go. I try to go into you know even movies. I think I'm not gonna like. I try to have that open mind, and that's where my open mind closed is where at that line. So one thing I do feel
1: like we going back to Halliday, Uh I think is an important distinction. Like again, I haven't read the book, but I've read pieces who that have like sort of you know talked about the differences. One of the big choices they made was in the movie. It's implied. That you're only going to be able to get, you know, find these keys if, uh, if uh, um, you know Halliday's pop culture obsessions. And There's a whole part of the book apparently where they list how many times Wade has watched all of like all of Halliday's favorite pop culture, and it's something like it would be a lifetime—the number of times he's watched Ferris Bueller and stuff like that, and Raiders and Back to the Future. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, but regardless. But the key, every key in the movie is actually something from his real life. I guess up till the last one when it's about finding the hidden signature in the Atari game or whatever. But even that's supposed to have some sort of meaning. So I think just that act changing it so it's about his actual human regrets and not just, I liked Back to the Future. You know, it's like I think that's a key to the movie being a little bit more about humanity. And this guy's regrets that he was only living in this pop culture world and a more important thing being real life. But then, the end of the movie, isn't Wade getting that other than we should play a little bit less. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. But
1: I do think that is a big argument for why, you know, like, well, let's make it more than just pop culture references. Like, human experience is much more important than, than that.
0: What I'd like to just reference real quick, if you haven't read the book, is the second challenge in the book, as I understand it, is that he has to, word for word, recreate the dialogue from war games. And there's like a a counter that shows you how accurate you are going through the movie, like saying each line of dialogue exactly. So when you say that, it's not like, (laughs) It's not hyperbole. It's an absurd rote memorization of this stuff. And, you know, Ferris Bueller is fine, but the idea of watching Ferris Bueller that many times, like, that sounds like a Twilight Zone hell ending. Kind of got, like, one last big picture question to to round things off. Divorcing what Spielberg's intention was. The movie's reaction, and this happens a lot a lot with people, is like, I don't see many people, and certainly it's not their responsibility, but this is not a movie where most people are ever going to care or consider these kind of deeper lessons. You know, they look at it and they're just like, look, it's a Gundam, hooray! And, you know, it's reductive, but I feel like it's really, really going for that. And it feels... Pandering. And my, my question to you is like, you know, I remember um, back during the election, there was this big thing about, like, uh, in the Star Trek community about, like, Trump supporting Star Trek fans getting really angry that they were being iced out of conventions. And just, like, literally, like, actors from the show responding, being just like, fuck you. Well, this is not the show. Uh, the, yeah, exactly. This is at, at all. You can't understand it. And it's just like, I you know what what the what the media means to you is ultimately what's most important but there's also like it it gets to a point where there's just like a misunderstanding of reading the intentions and like can something can do the, these kind of things that spielberg are, is is doing have any kind of like meaningful impact or are they just Easter eggs for people like you and me to go like, look Spielberg's darker now at this part of his career and it
1: just <laughs> doesn't matter. I mean, I don't think it's the responsibility of the artist to make people get it unless you, cause that's going to make it much less interesting if it's just lecturing us on whatever he's saying. I think that's what makes it more interesting. And then the people who are ready to unpack that stuff will unpack it. You know, uh-huh. I don't, you know, But I also think people read on a surface level, and I'm not just talking about these dumb, you know, like the conservatives who are mad that Star Wars is suddenly political, which is one of the most gobsmackingly stupid things. Star Wars has been political from the first frame of Star Wars. He was referencing Lenny Riefenstahl when he was (laughs) showing the Empire. It was very political. It's a very anti-fascist, very, you know, like, you know, idealistic, you know, 60s hippie, you know, like version of, you know, like, like vision of, you know, the good guys versus bad guys. It's like his loyalties have never been in question. Lucas and what he's trying to say, what he was trying to say when it was his. So being that star is political now is crazy. But you know, I, I think people on our side miss out on what something you know, like people are saying too. Like just talking again about the Wolf of Wall Street recently, and it's just mm-hmm. like mind blowing that people don't understand that movie is not a movie about how Jordan Belfort is awesome. That movie is about a morally bankrupt soulless human being, but it's presented in a very entertaining way. And the fact that people didn't give Martin Scorsese the benefit of the doubt is just really depressing to me, you know? So, but it's not his responsibility to have an ending where Belfort's like, my God, I've wasted my life. You know what I mean? Like that's not as interesting or subversive or, you know. I, I agree
0: 100 percent that the uh, it's it's not the artist's responsibility to do anything, but you know, see his vision. You know, to for right. for good art, I, I agree with that completely. And I also agree that The Wolf of Wall Street is a great ass movie. That's I would say it's it's barely even sub subtextual. It's like a horror movie about about capitalism. Uh, uh, it is like uh, the excesses of capitalism and like the horror that happens to people. Well, yeah.
1: And also my favorite part is people who like it but say, it's too long, so I oh, don't know. It has to be long. You have to be exhausted by this. It almost, if it was like a tighter movie, it'd almost be like, that was really fun. But the fact that you're, like, you your, your own soul is exhausted by the end of this film is part of the point, you know? So I don't know. Anyway, we don't need to go that deep into Wolf of Wall Street. I just feel like, I don't think if a movie, if Spielberg is saying what he's saying, like, I think it's an interesting thing to unpack and try to find what he's saying. And his, you know, I don't think it would have made it better if he on the nose said stuff. But I also think the ending calls into question what he's saying. I agree with that, though, you know, so Uh, I think I I
0: certainly wouldn't suggest to someone who has less than 200 followers on Twitter that Spielberg should do (laughs) anything at all. (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) I'm just curious. um, I, I guess the question I'm trying to get at is just like if if that's not effective what what is and and does do, do movies right. even have you know is that something we should even be looking towards is that the point of ready player one about looking towards these things
1: i don't know and i wonder if spielberg feels soul sick by what where pop culture ha- has gone and like how it reflects real culture or he just wanted to have fun and i'm not sure i know the answer to that you know what i mean but like i think it's an interesting exercise to debate that and there are people who might just listen to this and saw the movie and said, "No, nah, it was just a dumb movie." <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, like I could, like I maybe I'm over reading into this, but I think the man has earned the right to, you know, unpack what's there beyond. Absolutely. Um, the kind of, the, the 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 final, I guess, period on this
0: question is, or the, or the question mark on this question, is the just to compare it to something like uh, Mad Max: Fury Road, which sure. is uh, a film that is also just. On its surface level, extremely fun, but you know, you you put it together, um, and you can it creates a conversation uh, that's that's more that's about more than the fun. It's about kind of like you know, very much about how we treat women, how you know the world, uh, how people engage with with each other, and it's like a, a lot of interesting conversations have come from that. And I'm not I'm not saying that that that's that Spielberg's duty, necessarily, but, like, and, like, obviously not everybody can be George Miller, but it's just, like, are, do we need to th- start thinking more about, like, it's just in terms of our media consumption and just artists in general, about how to make that that impact, or should we just, you know, just, just make what we need to make, or, you know, our visions, um, and, you know, what, the conversations that happen are the conversations that need to happen. I don't know.
1: Right. I mean, I think he's over the years said plenty, you know, and had, you know, made movies that had meaty discussions. And, you know, I think we just had a pretty meaty discussion about this movie. So I don't know, like there's something there to talk about with this, but yeah, I mean, the, th- the my depressing answer as a filmmaker is like the cu- cultural conversation is very, like, there's a big drought of that when we're talking about film, where people talk now with television. You know what I mean? And I think even less than a couple years ago, I feel like there's not as much TV Everybody, everybody's talking about at the moment right now. You know, that Mad Men and Breaking Bad are over, you know, and Westworld is not what everybody wants it to be. Which is a similar, I think that's a similar text we could talk about, too you know, about the simulated world and pop culture and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we we don't have time to go into that. No, but, but maybe you know. I'll
0: have you back for that. Well, I'm telling yeah. you, Seth, if you want to see uh, a cultural conversation uh, that is shallow and terrible, you should check out video games sometime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do play Mario on Switch and it was awesome. And I have a PS4 and I will be picking up God of War once I, I'm moving in a week. So once I settle into a new place, I think I want to... Pick up a copy of that because I've heard amazing things. And I was real into those first two God of War games back in the PS2 days. You don't have to defend yourself to these jackals. you played Mario. (laughs) I I think the one last thought I had on Ready Player One, I feel like I've expressed to you off pod. But uh, I think one of the things that's interesting and understandable is Spielberg took out almost all the references to him that were in the book. But I almost feel the more interesting choice would have been to lean fully into it and make all these references to himself. Cause then he's really fully not just to, you know, talk about how cool ET is or, you know, like, you know, the aliens from where the worlds are, but to really be like, I'm now exploring my legacy and questioning everything I've made. And I'm the creator who, as at least questioning my creation, if not hating it, you know, and I think that would have been a far more interesting movie. And I know that was something uh, the critic David Ehrlich said, and I thought, you know, that's a really interesting point. If this movie had actually been not Spielberg just exploring pop culture that he influenced, but straight up, you know, driving straight into it and being like, what is my legacy? That could have been a fascinating movie.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. Um, So long as I leave in Chappie and Tracer's ass, uh, I'm 100%. (laughs)
1: Uh, oh, now I have to find chappie
0: the uh my kind of final last word that I'd like to to interject here is that I think you bring up a lot of good points about uh, about Spielberg in general and about how how it might be more interesting uh than it appears at first glance necessarily, but to yeah. me also in the current society, like with the way um i I feel that there is, is I don't want to say a misunderstanding, but I feel like it, there's there's elements of what he's drawing that are particularly uninspirational or distressing, mm-hmm. like the over-focus on materialism. Um, you know, this is a movie that feels devoid of spirituality if, if you're not talking about uh, you know, if you're not showing the spaceships that are cool in the workshop. And I feel like, you know, it's it's obviously not Spielberg's job at all, but it's... A, a monument to that is really distressing to me, even right. be, even beyond all those other things. And a monument right. that doesn't get... Uh, well, not even if it's not necessarily not getting it to see it not be gotten depicted on screen and then to see everybody just be like Iron Giant, yay, is yeah. is is upsetting to me. And that's not everybody. It's not necessarily the people that are watching it. And you know what? If you did enjoy that and you don't give a shit about the meaning of Iron Giant, like who cares? Have a good time. I don't care.
1: But I, you know, like I think there is an the movie could be a Verhoeven-y, satire on all of this if you it's possible to read it that way but i'm not convinced Do you know what i mean so i'm like making these arguments but i'm not fully convinced of them i just i think that there's the movie's either this or that and if it's that that's awesome but i don't think it fully gets there do you know what i mean if it's the verhoveny satire on our times and on our pop culture then i think there's a lot you know because pe- almost you know people a lot of people just watch robocop and think it's an awesome movie about a robot cop blowing people away <laughs> when you know it's obviously a very subversive film. And yeah, so if he's commenting on all this shallow stuff and saying this is a nightmare and I helped create it, then it's a fascinating movie. But like that one tweet said, he still wants you to have a good time, so.
0: I think that it's uh, a pretty good dissection of Ready Player One. Um, I uh, think we'll end it there. Seth, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Um, we, it's nice to have just uh, an extended film conversation like the days of yore. So, Seth, where can people find you and your good content online?
1: I am at Infinite Seth on the Twitters. Um, and, yeah, you can find Night Owls on iTunes or wherever else you rent. Voodoo, Amazon, you can rent or buy it there. And hopefully we'll be back on a streaming service sooner than later because we just we were on Netflix for two years, but a mere few days ago our two-year contract expired. Uh, so hopefully somebody else will want to pick it up soon. All
0: right, and I am Reese. You can find my excellent content at Your Very Good Bud on Twitter. Also check out our uh, podcast Twitter at VDA. T-W-T-O-E on Twitter or, you know, uh, do what you want. I don't care. I'm not a cop. Thanks so much once again. Bye, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming.